0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. We're going to begin. Father, thank you again for the opportunity you've given us just to sing praises, Father, to worship you, now to hear from your word. Lord, I pray you would just speak very clearly to us. Lord, help us just to sense your presence and your power, Lord. May may your name receive honor and glory. May we be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open up to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. We are concluding our study this morning through the book of Acts. If you've been with us over the last many months, we started this journey several months ago and have kind of walked through every chapter and and tried to understand God's calling and how God is working through the early century church. And for the last several weeks especially, we've really focused on Paul on his missionary journeys, on all that Paul has accomplished. And we've seen that Paul's done some pretty incredible things. He's had the opportunity to witness to Roman governors Felix and then Festus and last week King Agrippa. And at every chance given to Paul to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was faithful to do that. He was faithful to share his testimony. He was faithful to share the idea of Jesus and the salvation that comes through Jesus alone. And so Paul, in this process, you remember over the last several weeks in our study, has been imprisoned. He's been put on trial several times. And we read a couple of weeks ago that Paul basically says, listen, I don't think I'm going to get a good trial. I don't think I'm going to get a fair trial. I want to appeal to Caesar. I'd like to go all the way to Rome and have a opportunity, have an opportunity to speak with Caesar about what I'm doing. And in Paul's mind, I know, I'm going to point this out to you in scripture in a few minutes, Paul knows he's going to have a chance when he does that to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Caesar. And so we see this kind of unfolding over the last several chapters. Paul is kind of moving in that direction, moving in that place, going closer and closer toward the opportunity of sharing with Rome, sharing with uh, Caesar and the gospel of Jesus Christ, to all the people that would listen. And so in our study this morning, we're going to begin in Acts 27, the early part. We're going to walk through two chapters. We're going to have to kind of hit the high points to finish this up. But I want you to notice something as we go through this. It just stuck out to me as I studied and prayed through these two chapters this week, is that there's some main ideas that Paul's going to deal with that we're going to see. There's some truth that we're going to see in our study over these two chapters related specifically to what's going on in Paul's life, but it really summarizes a lot of the big ideas of the book of Acts that we've already studied. So we're going to see what Paul's going to go through in 27 and 28, basically his journey and time in Rome, and we're going to relay those and kind of connect those to some of the things we've already studied together in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen as well. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy. Remember, he's going to go to Rome. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramatium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian, from Thessalonica. So let's just stop for a second. Let me kind of make sure you understand what's going on. Paul now is literally... On a boat heading to Rome. Now, we've seen this coming for several chapters. We've been aware of this process. We've been aware that this is leading up to this. But I want to make a point for you and then kind of walk back through Paul's journey over the last several chapters and see where the Lord's going to lead him. It's an idea we've seen through Scripture. It's an idea that we see now in Paul's life. It's truth number one on the screen for us very clearly. God's plan will be fulfilled. God's plan will be fulfilled. Now that's true in the life of Paul, that's true in the life of Peter, that's true in the life of the early century church, and just to kind of bring this closer home, that's true in your life as well. Right, so just to be real clear, God's got a plan for you, a direction, something he wants you to accomplish. We've been talking about ordinary to extraordinary for the last many, many months. God wants to take a group of ordinary people through the power of the Spirit and Christ working in their lives, And he wants to do extraordinary things through you. God's got a plan that he wants to be fulfilled. Now, Paul has been sensing for a long time now this call to Rome. In fact, if you were to back up, you don't have to look, but I want to read you just a couple of verses to kind of make this case biblically. Paul has kind of sensed, and maybe the way we would say it, and I don't know that it's necessarily the right way to say it, but you'll understand it. Paul had this nagging sense for a period of time that he needed to go to Rome. Paul had this nagging sense, it was really the Spirit working within him, leading him to this place where he goes to Rome. So you don't have to look, but just listen. Acts 19, verse 21, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, I have been there, I must also see Rome. In Acts chapter 23, the Lord reminds Paul, you need to go to Rome. Paul has kind of been on this journey, this path, This desire he has to go to Rome to eventually witness to Caesar. And here's where this is important for us. Here's where you need to get this. God had a very specific plan for Paul, but Paul's part of God's plan was just a small little part. Like God's got a lot bigger plan than just Paul, right? We would say maybe in modern terms, kind of a meta-narrative. There's this big story all through Scripture of God's redemption for the world. Paul is a small part of that. Paul plays a small little role of that. We studied many months ago Acts 1.8. Christ says to his followers, listen, you're going to get power from the Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? That's a calling, not just to Paul. That's a calling to all of us. It's not just the responsibility of Paul or Peter or the early century church. It's all of our calling, right? And so God's got this plan He's got a plan for you individually, but you're part of the bigger picture. You understand that? And unless you're willing to function within that role, unless you're willing to do the things the Lord calls you to do, then you're not functioning properly within the body. Paul gets that. Paul understands that. And so the, the problem we come to, or the kind of the discussion point for us, is we, we reach this point in the study and we say, you know what, I get it, God had a plan for Paul, I get it, God had a plan for Peter. I get it, Paul had a, uh, God had a plan for the early century church. That's clear, we've seen that. You, ca- you kind of have to be willingly ignorant not to see that God had a plan for the early century church. But here's the, the divide for us and the barrier oftentimes. We realize that God has a plan for Paul and Peter in the early century church. We just can't connect that to our own lives. Like, What does Paul's journey to Rome have to do with me? Some would ask. What does Peter's calling to preach have to do with me? What does what the first century church have to do with me? This is 2,000 years ago. How do I apply this to my life? Let's make it a little clearer. Let's ask maybe a little bit of a better question that people ask. What's God's plan for me? What's God's will for my life? I have conversations with people on a pretty regular basis, and, and a lot of times it ends up with something like this You know, what does God want me to do here? How does God want me to live? What's God's plan for my life? It's kind of an ongoing discussion. It's an ongoing thought in a lot of people's lives. And so I want to give you kind of five things biblically. We just kind of think through Paul and the plan that God had for Paul and Paul's desire through the Spirit to go to Rome and to be used of the Lord for the kingdom. I want to give you five things biblically, just kind of practical things you can apply in your life that will just kind of help you understand God's calling and what he's trying to do in your life. And the fifth one is going to surprise you, okay? little teaser here in just a few minutes. The fifth one's going to surprise you. I've got them on the screen. If you're, if you're trying to figure out God's plan and how to fulfill God's plan and how to go from just kind of this average believer to doing kind of incredible things for the Lord, one of the first things you ought to be doing scripturally, we have it on the screen, is you ought to be trusting in the Lord. Right? It's simple to say, right? We would all go, I mean, I see so many heads, you know, like this. I, me too. Yep, trust in the Lord. Next question, Adam, are you actually trusting the Lord in all things? You know, mostly, (laughs) most things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with a little bit of your heart. Trust in, let me read it again correctly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways acknowledge. In all of your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your path. Like, we're really good about trusting the Lord in in this part of our lives, and then we're really good at trusting in our own selves in this part of the life, right? Right? I'll give this to God, sure, no problem giving this to you. Sunday morning you can have, Bible study you can have, but Monday morning at work, that's mine. No place for the Lord at work. I mean, I can't really serve the Lord here. I've got to do my job. Right, or students, I'll, I'll give the Lord Wednesday evenings when I'm in youth and I'm praising and worshiping, and I'll even give him a couple of weeks in the summer when I go to camp or do fun things. But when I'm on a date with my boyfriend or girlfriend uh, on the weekends, I'm not giving that to the Lord. That's my time. Right? It's very easy for us to trust in the Lord in some things, but not in all things. You want to understand God's plan for your life, you ought to be trusting in the Lord in all things, not just a few. Because you hold back from the Lord, those are areas in your life he's not going to work in. Here's the second thing, understanding God's will for you. Number two, obey God's revealed will. Right? God's given you a ton of things scripturally you can be doing to serve him. How you ought to live, how you ought to think, how you ought to treat others. Just start there. Like If you're, if you're uncertain about what the Lord's calling you to do, just begin with his word. What, what's his word clearly tell me to do? How's God telling me to live? Thirdly, and, and a lot of us wait until the last thing to do this, is we ought to be praying more. I feel like I say this every week, and I should, because it's a struggle for me. I know it's a struggle for you. Are we we praying enough? We're we're real good making decisions. we got the to-do list. we got the pros and the cons. We've talked to a lot of people. We've thought about all the different possibilities. we got flow charts that we do to help us make decisions, and all those things are good. And then I say, have you prayed about it? I probably should do that, shouldn't I? Yeah. Yeah, we probably should do that. We should pray. We should ask the Lord to give us guidance. Number four, grow where you're planted the story of the talents in Matthew here's what the master said to the one who had done really well his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a little I will set you over much I think sometimes the Lord says listen I've given you this small task do well in the small task be faithful to me grow where you're planted then I'll give you bigger tasks I always think about Joseph of the Old Testament in prison He's a slave in in Potiphar's house, all the bad things that happened to him. And yet in those bad moments, he trusted the Lord. The Lord used him. He kind of grew where he was planted, and the Lord gave him bigger and better responsibilities. We ought to understand that and apply that to us. Number five, don't put it up there yet. I want to kind of just challenge you with something, because a lot of people think about the will of the Lord what does tomorrow bring? What does next week bring? How do I fit into God's plan? And they, they miss number five, that I think is scripturally the one I can defend more than any other. If you're thinking about the will of God, put it up. The fifth thing you ought to be doing, you ought to be holy. Let me read a verse for you out of 1 Thessalonians. This is one of, of, of probably several dozen, by the way. I don't have time to read them this morning. First Thessalonians 4, verse 3 says very clearly, for this is the will of God. So you're like, what is that? Good, what is, it? what is it? This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's what it says right there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your growth in Christ. That's, what, that's a churchy word that means growth in Christ. God's will for you is that you grow in your faith. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we want to know what tomorrow brings. We, we want to know how we're supposed to live. We want to know what the next little step is. God says, listen, just be holy. <laughs> Just focus on your growth in Christ. John Piper, some of you know and have read. I want to read a quote from him. I have it on the screen because I think he really just kind of nails it here. He said, Instead of letting his glory shape our desires and ambitions, we too often expect him to reveal his minute-by-minute instructions for our lives. We expect him to spell out everything. We crave the personal comfort, that's a good word, of knowing our destined five-year plan over faithfully trusting him the next five years. Slowly, we forget that faith might look messy, that we might not have our entire life plan unveiled to us immediately. Sometimes we must step forward with both confidence and uncertainty. We forget that while God has conquered death through his son on the cross, we still live in a fallen world and are amid a spiritual war between good and evil, we forget that he's sovereign over us. I, I highlighted this on my notes because I wanted to say it. I wanted to read it and make sure I didn't miss it because I think too many Christians kind of misunderstand this. Too many people, too many Christians especially, seek happiness instead of holiness. Now look, I'm not saying God wants you to be miserable. That's not what I'm saying. But, 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 but if the thing that drives you in your life is your own personal gratification and happiness and pleasure and enjoyment, I think you're missing what the Lord calls you to do and who he calls you to be. Right? Be holy, he says, because I'm holy. Right? Be, be, holiness, be, be separated, be different from the world, the Lord says, because I'm holy. Right? You, you want to figure out God's plan for you be holy in the way you live. It's a theme we see all through the book. Now let's continue. Right. So, so Paul is set sail. He's part of God's magnificent, beautiful plan. He's trusting the Lord, he's serving the Lord, he's walking in faith. And so now, here's what we do, right? We oftentimes think, if I'm in God's will, then everything's going to be good and perfect, there's not going to be any issues, and I'm never going to struggle or go through hardship as long as I'm trusting in the Lord. Well, let's say biblically that's not true. Because sometimes the, the biggest struggles we face are when we're right in the middle of God's will. So let's take a look at 27, we're in chapter 27, skip down to verse 14. All right, Paul's on the boat. They're heading for Rome. But soon uh, a, a wind called a northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. we were driven along. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now, I did that quickly. There's a lot to read in there. But the, the short of that is Paul and all his companions on the boat have found themselves in this terrible storm. The wind's blowing. The, the waves are high. In fact, it's so bad, the Bible says they've given up hope of being saved. All right, so they're on this boat. They think they're going to drown. They think they're going to have a shipwreck. They think something terrible's about to happen. This brings to us truth number two that I want you to kind of embrace and understand. We have it on the screen. Number two, our faith grows through trials and persecution. Our faith grows through trials and persecution. That's news to some of y'all because you're in the middle of a trial and you don't feel like you're growing. You're in the middle of a trial and you're struggling you're hurting, there's a lot of pain, you can't figure out, maybe this has happened, maybe that's happened, you kind of fill in the blank for your own personal life. But one of the things we notice through the book of Acts, and really through the the entire New Testament, but especially in Paul's life as of late, and especially in chapters 27 and 28, is that our faith is going to grow through persecution. Our faith is going to grow through trials. Now, I want to Kind of show you some specifics about some things we ought to understand in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution, in this scripture, in chapter 27. You guys may remember several years ago we studied through the book of James. And James is a very practical book, a lot of practical guidance. But one of the things that James kind of hits you with early on in the book, really in chapter 1, and he sprinkles it in other places, is that in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, in times of trial, we need to see that as a good thing because we know that our trials and our struggles produce within us perseverance. They produce within us a strength that we would not have gotten otherwise. It's It's a simple analogy, but it makes so much sense. Like If you want to get stronger and faster and better in shape, you work out and you run and you lift weights. It's not easy to lift weights. It's very difficult. It's a hardship you go through understanding that when you finish the workout, you're going to be stronger. When you finish the run, you're going to be stronger, right? We understand that in some areas of life, but in other areas, especially struggles of life and and the temptations and the trials we go through, we fail to understand God has got a bigger plan. There's a bigger purpose. Through our struggles and through our trials, we grow in the things of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice some specifics here in Acts chapter 27. Look at verse 22, if you would. Acts chapter 27, verse 22, this is Paul speaking to the people on the boat. After they've been in the storm for several days, they feel like they're going to wreck, they feel like they're going to sink, they feel like they're all going to die. He says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship, right? We're just going to lose this ship. None of us are going to die. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. One of the things we understand in our trials, I think we have it on the screen, is that God is with us during our times of trials. And some of us need to be reminded of that right now. (laughs) Because it's very easy for us to walk through a difficult time, to walk through a struggle and think we're going at it alone. That's not what the scripture teaches. The Bible teaches the Lord walks along with us. But, but here's a, a kind of a fascinating thing that Paul does. Skip on down to verse 34. Paul says, I urge you, therefore, to take some food. Right, They hadn't eaten in several days. They're they're throwing things overboard because the storm is so bad. They're trying to lighten the load of the boat. Paul says, listen, take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And listen, now watch this, verse 35. When he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it. He began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves we, we ought to understand in the in the midst of trials we should give thanks even in our struggles and that's not the first thing that we think about usually in our struggles is it like you're on a boat it's about to sink we think we're all going to die Paul has this sense from the Lord that he's going to walk with us he's going to protect us and so he says to everybody listen let's eat this food and by the way thank you Lord for putting us in this moment thank you for giving us this food on this boat that's about to sink I wonder how many of us walk through trials going, thank you, Lord, for putting me in this situation because I know you're going to strengthen my faith. Thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me to walk through this struggle because on the other side of this, I know you're going to do great things. It's kind of the last thing sometimes we do. We ask the Lord to take it away from us. We ask the Lord to fix it. We ask all sorts of things. But giving thanks in the midst of a struggle is a difficult thing to do. But I want you to notice, Paul kind of takes it another step. We're just kind of walking through this. Verse 41 of chapter 27. But striking a reef, right? This whole section is about this ship and the struggle of being on this ship. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So the Bible tells us they swim, they ride on boards, they do everything they can to end up on the island of Malta, which is about 25 miles south of Italy. They're kind of stranded on this island. But look at verse 7 of chapter 28. I want you to notice what Paul does. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Here's something else Paul does in the midst of struggle. He puts others ahead of himself. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. I can speak for me. But oftentimes in the, in the middle of struggles and difficulty, I think about myself first. <laughs> like, Lord, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to fix this? How are you going to make this better? Apostles, listen, who can I go out to administer to? Right, who's somebody on this? I'm shipwrecked. Just think about this now. Shipwrecked, been in prison for a few years, headed to Rome, possibly to be in prison again. He understands he may, be mar- he may be killed for his faith. He's literally chained to a soldier. He's stranded on this island, doesn't know anybody. And instead of kind of throwing the pity party about what he wishes could happen, he says, Lord, I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to give thanks to you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to, oh, by the way, put other people ahead of myself. Who can I help? Like, who needs prayer, Paul says? Who can I go see and pray for? I just think, what, what, a, what a beautiful way to live our lives, concerned about the needs of others over ourselves. You know, we see in this struggle with Paul that God is still at work, even in struggles, even in persecution. I, w- I want to read from you a blog from some of our partners in South Asia. And by the way, team's going to South Asia here in just a few weeks. There's another one in November. Be praying for this team coming up. And if you're interested in the one in November, I'd love to talk to you about that. But this is written from our partners. Now, I just want to be clear. This is not a fictional book I'm about to read. This is not a a movie script. This happened. I want to read just kind of verbatim from their blog, from our partners in South Asia. He said, early last week, another leader, RJ, and they never actually send the names. They always change them. So RJ is just this person, visited a cousin in a village near his home. The cousin phoned R.J. a few days later, inviting him to his family's home to share the truth. R.J. went to the home where the family gathered to pray and worship and hear the word. The father and a few other believers requested R.J. to return. So they just keep asking him to come back to this village. Hey, man, keep on coming back. We want to hear more about Jesus. We want you to pray with us more. We want you to come and study more. Two days later, R.J. returned for another meeting. As the meeting was in progress... The village religious leader called local majority party politicians and some militant thugs who disrupted the meeting, dragging R.J. into the street. They beat R.J. up. They damaged his motorbike. They locked him in a room. So R.J. calls the police. He's got his cell phone, calls the police. They later arrive, but they refuse to help unless R.J. paid them a large sum of money. After arranging the payment... The police took R.J. from the village, dropped him out at a different location, leaving his motorbike in the village. Now, pause for a second. I'm going to come back. Right? They're hoping R.J. just says, you know what, just forget about this. I'm done. Right? They're taking me to another village. They're kind of getting me out of here. I've had it. Not going back. Uh, enough is enough. I'm finished with that area. I'm finished with worrying about sharing my faith. It's just too dangerous. Persecution is too high. I'm done. Let me just continue now. R.J., that's not what happens. R.J. joyfully shared his story, praising God for the opportunity to suffer for the truth. He understood this as a sign from the father that he must continue reaching. Now, I want to continue. It gets better. As we spoke, he received a call from the home of the cousins. And they gave R.J. a warning that the men who attacked him were on the way to his house. So 30 minutes later, they arrived. They began asking R.J.'s neighbors all about his family and his work. And everyone shared about the love with which R.J. and his family display in serving their village. So the group of men came to R.J.'s house. They were invited in to talk. The men apologized for their actions and thanked R.J. for his forgiveness. RJ shared the truth with them and gave them each a copy of the word. The men said that he was welcome back in their village anytime and could continue leading a meeting under their protection. RJ will go to Mar to retrieve his motorbike and perhaps these men will offer to repair the damage. The blog goes on to say, "Listen, these people need prayer. They need our support." And then I'm going to quote it again. I'm going to finish with this. They ask that you not pray for the persecution to cease, but rather that their faith remains strong as the Father accomplishes His purpose for His glory through the difficulty. I'm like, what? What world are these people living in? What world am I living in? Like, I show up to church and the AC is at 74 instead of 72. I'm like, what? What is the problem today? And there are people in South Asia being dragged into the street for their faith. Do you understand that? I'd like you to acknowledge my head shake. Do you understand what's going on? Most of you? Yeah? It's amazing to me how, and, and again, I'll put myself at the head of the line, how easy it is for us to complain about minor things. Minor things we get all upset about, complain about. I just can't believe we get all huffy and mad, and we, <laughs> we take to Facebook and start to, we, that's how we live, right? We get mad about that, and I think, what's going on with these people? I mean, this guy's dragged in the street for his faith, and instead of just hightailing it out of there like probably I would do and many others would and said, i just had it with this group, he says, thank you, Lord, that I'm being persecuted because it means you're at work. Ask the believers in America to pray not that the persecution would go away, but that I would be strengthened in my faith so I can stand up under the difficulty. Unbelievable. You know, I, I see stories like this, and, and I ask myself the question, Lord, what, what am I missing here? What am I missing in my walk that I'm not willing to live like that? What am I missing in my faith that I'm not willing to give like that? That I'm not willing to sacrifice like that? Now let's continue. We need to finish verse 31 of chapter 28. I need to finish this up. I'm going to summarize Paul's time in Rome. He lived there two whole years. And by the way, he's under house arrest He's chained probably to the jailer. He has the opportunity to greet guests and kind of do what he wants to write and to read, but he can't really go anywhere. He can't really do the things he wants. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, verse 30, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Here's truth number three. We must always proclaim Christ regardless of the cost. And let me just say this: I say this all the time, but we don't have to get on an airplane to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? <laughs> would, you, would you believe there are people right here in Lagrange who don't know Jesus? Shocking! In the Bible Belt, right—the buckle of the Bible Belt—that there are people here who don't know Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Like, what are we doing in Jerusalem? What are we doing in Judea Samaria? What, what are we doing to the uttermost parts of the earth to proclaim Christ regardless of the cost? Because I love what Paul does here, right? When he when he writes Ephesians and Philippians and probably Colossians and Philemon, he's in prison. He talks about that. Most scholars think he was probably in prison in Rome, and he talks. Over and over in his writings, if you go back and read through Ephesians and Philippians, especially he talks over and over about the prisoner in chains. You kind of get this picture of how Paul lived and how he was unable to do the things he wanted to do. And yet we read in Philippians 4.4, right? Just think about Paul, chained to a Roman jailer, been in prison now several years, shipwrecked, beaten, persecuted, stoned, all the things that he's gone through. And he says in verse 4 Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I just think sometimes we're missing it, folks. I, mean, I think we're just missing something. I don't know if it's just gotten too easy for us or things are just too, too uh, simple or we've just made it. I don't know why this is the case. I just feel like we're missing things because I read these accounts and acts of ordinary people doing extraordinary things to the power of the gospel, willing to give up their very lives for Christ. I see people in other countries doing the same thing and I wonder why, why is that not me? Why is that not us? And so we come to the end of this book and we say, what what do we do with this now? Because Acts is very interesting. It it ends real abruptly. And I'm not going to go into kind of the scholarly debate. There's a lot of scholars that debate why it just kind of ends. Why doesn't it kind of conclude with telling us what happened to Paul or the early century church or some of the other believers? We kind of get to this point where it just kind of ends. And we kind of have to understand and remind ourselves that this is not a biography of Paul. It's, It's not a fictional novel. It's a historical account of the first century church. And so I've kind of settled in, in my spirit, I've kind of seen it like this. I see this abrupt ending as our beginning. Like where Paul left off and where Peter left off and where the early century church left off, we pick it up. Acts 1-8 wasn't just given to Paul, it was given to you and it was given to me. Like are we willing to share and proclaim Christ regardless of the cost in LaGrange, in Troop County, in Georgia, in the United States, to the ends of the earth? Christ says, listen, I've I've given you this account. I've I've given you this history. I've given you all these people and all these stories, the power of the Spirit, not so you can sit there and not ever do anything, but instead so you can be willing to sacrifice all for the sake of the kingdom. Lord says, listen, I've got extraordinary plans for you. I've got great things I want to do through your ordinary life. Our prayer should continue to be that through the power of the Spirit, we find the desire and the ability to trust Him, to follow Him, to do all the things He's called us to do, regardless of the cost. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of people like Paul and Peter and early century believers We thank you for the faithfulness of so many people that have gone before us, Father, in other places and other times. We, We thank you for the faithfulness, Lord, of the church now in so many different parts of the world, Father, being persecuted, struggling, Lord, to survive. Be with our brothers and sisters, Father. Give them the strength during this persecution to remain faithful, to grow in their faith, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of the cost, Father. And then I pray for us right now in in our world, in the Western Christian world, shake us loose, Father, from the rut that so often we find ourselves in, from the comfort zone we find ourselves in. Call us to greater things, Lord. Call us to extraordinary things. And then through the power of the Spirit, allow us to accomplish them. We love you. We serve you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. Altar is open. A chance for you to pray. Speak to me if you'd like. You respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.